Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Welcome to the two o'clock hour, final hour of today's episode of Live Mike. Uh, let me just give you a, a little behind-the-scenes peek at what uh, what's going to happen here for the remainder of today's program. The, the, the plan here for the next half hour or so was to talk about some uh, some speculation in Congress as to this new piece of technology, which has been taken advantage of by uh, Democrats in their leadership elections. Uh, but that is an app which allows them to vote remotely. There has been resistance on the Republican side to adopt something like that uh, more broadly. Uh, We'll get into the details of that uh, in just a moment. Congressman Chris Stewart is my guest, and I'm going to pick his brain for what he thinks uh, might or or should be uh, the best way to to vote in Congress, uh, be it in person or remotely or whatever the case. We'll get into that in a moment. But uh, first, let me me welcome the congressman to the program. Congressman, how are you, sir? Good to be with you. And I tell you what, it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the day. I'm going to be in a good mood because they saved that puppy dog. And that's a great story. Every once in a while, I get caught off guard. Uh, I I was unaware of that story entirely until I heard the newscast commence. And I was uh, I set aside everything I was doing. I was uh, back and forth uh, doing some texting. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what's the outcome? Uh, Again, just like you, very relieved that that the puppy Loosen the road. That's was, great. It was real in. Thank you. Uh, listen, before we get to you know voting and electronic voting and remoting and your thoughts on that, uh, I have to say about four hours ago, I noticed uh, that you tweeted something, a photograph uh, of a map you have hanging in the wall uh, on the wall of your office. Will you describe to us uh, that map and its significance? Yeah, this is a beautiful piece of history, and it was actually classified until well, fairly recently, maybe the last fifteen or twenty years. But it's a radar plot of Pearl Harbor on, of course, this date. And, you know, at the time, radar was just barely being developed. It was in its infancy, and people didn't really know how good it was or how helpful. And you have this, these radar men who were plotting a, an incra- incoming aircraft. They didn't know what it was. They weren't even sure it was aircraft. And, you know, they called the headquarters down here, Oahu, and they said, well, it's probably some B-17s that were coming over from California Although, if you look at the plot, these airplanes are coming directly from the north, and the B-17s would have been coming more from the east. And they plot it beginning at uh, about 7. Well, here, I'll walk over and look. Beginning at uh, 7.02, they start plotting these aircraft coming in. And at uh, 7.35, they go to breakfast. I figured that was kind of fun. Not sure what it is. And, of course, while they're having breakfast, the sirens went off, the attack began, and they go running back to the radar station just in time to plot these Japanese aircraft as they left the islands, heading back to the carriers. 
it, it's a it's an interesting piece of history and important to me because of my father and his service and my mom's service in World War II. But just showing we were unprepared and uh, we didn't anticipate this attack. And even when we had indications of it, we didn't know what it was and didn't respond correctly. And uh, and also the emergence of technology, this idea of the radar was so new and no one really knew it would it be effective, would it be helpful, and how do you, how do you operate this thing? It's just, just kind of an interesting little tidbit. I uh, worked for a number of years as a congressional aide just down the hall from your office, sir. I know that real estate uh, is hard to come by. There's not a lot of wall space. The offices are small. And so uh, for something to make it onto the wall of a congressman, it must have uh, you know, significant uh, meaning. Let me ask you, why, why allot uh, that real estate and that wall space to this map? Well, I think it's more a m- more memorial for my parents, for my dad. And, you know, the greatest generation, every one of us, I think, hard to find an American who doesn't somewhere in their genealogy, someone in their family who served in World War II, lost their life or served, their lives changed. Uh, it changed the country. And uh, and in many ways, in a, in a very as, as tragic and as a heartache as the war was, it was uh, it was a, a, just a generational change for our country and brought in. Uh, you know, kind of an ethos, uh, uh, a reality that you know, the United States was the world's leader now. They were, they'd come of age. They were, you know, in a position where they could, you know, bless the world and help the world and help save the world and uh, and trying to honor that. So I think that's probably, well, I know that's the reason I have it up on the wall. It's a great emblem of that. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, you know, that chapter of your family's history. Also, let me on this day thank you for your service. 14 years in the Air Force, uh, a pilot, a holder of many records. I know you are proud of your service, and I am grateful to you for that service. Uh, let's, uh, let's well, shift. you're kind. Thank you. Well, thank you. Let's shift gears here a little bit. On Friday, I got my hands on a report from Reuters that revealed that uh, Democrats in the House had for some time been using an app uh, which allowed them to vote remotely. Now, it was available to everyone, but it was the Democrats who chose to uh, use it in their leadership votes. So the technology is available for votes to be cast by members of Congress uh, remotely. Let me just a- ask you, frankly, do you see a future for remote voting? Could you ever imagine yourself voting remotely, casting actual votes on actual legislation as an elected member of the House, uh, say, from your home here in Utah? Yeah. So there's no question that technologically we can and you can do it and do it securely. And there's no question as well that I think it's a bad idea. Uh, I, I, Congress has changed since they've implemented this policy and it's changed for the worse. And, and honestly, you've got to be creative to find a way to make Congress worse than it was before, because, <laughs> you know, we haven't been the most functional uh, organization you, you know, uh, we're, we're hardly an example to the world on efficiency, yeah. but this has made it much worse and much less efficient. And I think our founding fathers envisioned Congress as a congregation. We come together, we discuss, we debate, we try to find compromise, we try to work out uh, a, an answer that's good for the American people. And that's impossible to do when people are staying home and voting from home. There's, there's and, no I mean, level. You've seen or. There's no level of like Zoom or FaceTime proficiency that we've acquired in this COVID era uh, to adequately replicate the the style of face-to-face debate uh, that takes place uh, on the floor of the House or in the various committee rooms? Yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's a point zero 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 five. I mean, because it's just not the same thing. I mean, technologically, it's not the same thing. 
because it's difficult to engage in a group conversation. You can have one person talk at a time. You don't get the one-on-one conversations that are so important. And, Lee, you know this from your experience here. A lot of the most important work takes place on the floor. That's where we go down there. We're all together, all 435 of us. You go find friends. You go find our colleagues, our Democratic colleagues, and you engage in conversation where you try to work some things out. And all of that is gone now. And besides that, there's this attitude about, you know, there are some members who haven't been back here since March. And you've heard the stories about guys who are calling in and they inadvertently turn on their video and they find out they're on a sailboat, you know, or they've been fishing. I mean, they're literally showing them fishing. They quickly turn it off. It's not like members are staying home slaving away. They're not. And we pay a real price for doing this. And I understand that COVID is uh, clearly health concerns. I also understand that Congress is very vulnerable because we're, frankly, a little bit older, uh, you know, our average age. Uh, And we can be considerate of that. But we also should recognize that if you set this precedent, how are you going to walk it back? And how are you going to get people back together? How are you going to engage in those conversations, those personal one-on-one conversations that are so important to actually legislating, to actually moving things forward? Um, and, and I just think I'm convinced that we're, we're worse off for doing it. And I wish they wouldn't do it. And I wish they'd change their minds. And by the way, Lee, last thing, Republicans don't. We made a decision early on. We will not do this. We will come to work. We'll, we'll be here every week that uh, we're in session. And, uh, and I just think that's the right answer. All right. Congressman Stewart, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and again, let me reiterate, thank you for your service and the service of your parents in World War II. Thanks again. Well, thank you. And on behalf of all those millions of veterans out there, I'll say thank you and appreciate it for uh, on their behalf. Thank you, Lee. Very good. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to talk uh, about the COVID-19 vaccine, which ought to be uh, finding its way into the bloodstreams of Britons tomorrow, I believe. Uh, I'd point out one last thing. We did reach out to the office of Congressman uh, Ben McAdams, a, a Democrat. He did not participate in the leadership votes, which used this remote technology, and so didn't have anything to add to the, the conversation. Quick break. Back with how things are looking in Great Britain as they roll out the COVID-19 vaccine, the first on the planet to do so. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another... Pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.